Welcome to episode 190 of Control the Controllables. And I'm bringing this one to you from Paris, where we have the second Grand Slam of the year, the French Open, the sun is shining, the clay courts are playing a little bit faster this year. The tennis balls, however, aren't. They are fluffing up. There's going to be lots of shock results as we always get on the clay courts. And of course, Rafael Nadal isn't here on the men's side. Is it going to be Iga Sviatek's third French Open? There's lots for us to discuss. And who better than our amazing panellists to come on and discuss all things French Open 2023? I've got my usual suspects. I've got Freddie Nielsen, the Danish Davis Cup captain and Wimbledon doubles champion of 2012. He gives us some great insights into Holger Rune. Is it going to be his first Grand Slam? Emily Webberly-Smith, 20 years plus now on the tour, still making finals of big events. She comes on and shares, as she always does, so so gracefully and so well. And then Kieran Vorster, the Piers Morgan of tennis podcasts. Liam Brody's fitness coach has been around for, for many, many years. And I'm delighted to say we've had two newcomers onto the panel this year. Gabby Dabrowski, who's been as high as number four in the world, WTA doubles. She has made semi-finals of Grand Slams. She's won Masters 1000s. She'll be looking to win her first Grand Slam here in Paris. She brings a different angle and insight as well. And then the coach of Igor Sviatek when she won her first Roland Garros. Piotr Shepatovsky and but to have him come on and get a little bit of a an idea of what was going through Iga's mind, how she thinks in those big moments, and he's now coaching the number 32 seed Shelby Rogers. Honestly, I'm not just saying this, you cannot miss this episode. You have to share it far and wide. It's brilliant, it's entertaining, and it's incredibly insightful. And I know you're gonna love it. I'm gonna pass you over. So French Open 2023 panellists. So a big welcome to our French Open panellists. How are you doing, guys? All good. Good, thanks, Dan. And we have a, what a big, a big panel that we have. So we've got our first timers, Piot and Gabby, a big special welcome to you guys. It won't be easy getting a word in edgeways with the with the panelists that have been here for so long. So make sure you're fighting your corner as well. But thank you very much for joining us. And as a starting point, and Gabby, I'm going to jump to you first. There's been a default on the ATP tour today. Some people will think that it's down to the clay courts. You know, the umpire refused to get out of the chair. Imar lost the plot, lost his serve smacked his racket against the umpire's chair, got defaulted. And, and we saw in Rome as well, it, it feels like these the umpires are getting a few of these calls wrong on a clay court. So from a from a player's point of view, is it time for us to move into full electronic line calling? Yeah, uh, I would love to see electronic line calling everywhere because I think it just makes those dramatic moments a thing of the past really and you can just focus on playing and you can't really argue with a computer and you don't lose your cool over things that should be completely trivial um and i think we've also seen 
that bad line calls can actually change the outcome of a match. So they, it is important to get it right as best as we can. I know that electronic line calling is not a perfect science yet, but I do think that the more that it's implemented, in particular on clay, I think it'll get there. Um, and today, I mean, that was, I, I, I saw the clip just a few hours ago on Twitter um, where Emer serves, his opponent returns cross court, the ball takes a really bad bounce, Emer shanks a forehand long, but goes straight to the mark and circles it, but the umpire refuses to come down. And you think, why? Why not? I've seen umpires get out of their chair and come and look at a mark even without being prompted if they're just not sure if it's close. So because it's not like the point continued on and then Imar was, you know, upset that that ball was out, like he just missed a forehand and then walked to the mark. Like we all do that on clay all the time. Um, obviously, unfortunate reaction that got him defaulted and rightfully so. I mean, you can't be smashing the umpire's chair with your racket. We all know that. But it shouldn't have happened in the first place. So, yeah. But does electric line calls, though, and Pia, I'll bring you in on this. Does it make tennis too sterile? You know, almost the 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 human error that, that happens. And, you know, all of us w want to watch that. Anyone that's, you know, heard about that today, it, it gets them rushing to social media, it gets them watching tennis. It's, it's entertainment. Obviously, we don't want to see players stressful and, and behaving in such ways. But, you know, maybe it, if we take that human error away, Piot, then, then maybe we lose a little bit of the entertainment value that potentially comes with tennis. Uh, absolutely. As a coach, I totally agree with Gabby. But as a fan, watching tennis, drama is necessary. If we don't have it, there is not a lot left for me uh, because matches are long, everything is extending. So this is actually pretty interesting that we, we can experience those. So I agree fully with full electronic system. But yeah, it, it kills a little bit of vibe of fighting, you know, for marks and, and pushing the limit with reps and bringing them down. Then they are tired. They don't want to do this again. And it's like, it's a chess game too. And, and doesn't it show, because Fred, Freddie, you worked with Imar, yeah. you know, not, not, so, not so long ago. And I guess what, what I saw watching as I'm sat there drinking my hot chocolate in beautiful weather or, you know, with no stress in the world, if, if only, but it, it, you get that, you get the picture. I'm sat there saying, dude, chill out. It's five all, you know, like it, it's very easy to have that perspective, but doesn't it just bring home the stresses and the realities of, of a tennis player? So we take, I don't know his exact ranking, but I would imagine he's around 80 in the world. You know, he's probably not won that many matches this year. He's he's fighting for his life to get these wins on the board to, you know, stay in the in the Grand Slams, whatever it might be, and and it maybe makes us react in such ways. Well, just to, he actually has his his best ranking. Uh, just to correct you there, so he's actually in a good moment, but okay. he did come back from just having been injured since Miami, and I mean, let's be honest, it's a moment of madness. He nobody's gonna defend it. He's not gonna defend it. It, it happens sometimes inexplicable stuff happens but like you said there's so much more that goes on between the ears than what what the fans get to see and what what is going on there one can only speculate but uh yeah it's certainly let, let let's be honest it's obviously not just that ball he's reacting to because nobody in a calm collected uh, frame of mind is gonna do that about 
one point or one bad call it's obviously triggered something in him and then yeah the the house of cards has fallen down i would have a question then because uh, even in madrid and rome it looked like referees been on microphones constantly maybe they are on netflix so i don't know what's going on but umpires umpires are one umpire <laughs> like no no i Leani. <laughs> we, we we had a lot of a lot of situations like that lastly where there was they've been discussing like they made a show so for me is the question is it not going too far right now so those situations can trigger next situation because you are afraid like oh okay so i saw it in a match before happening that was stupid so i have to push and fight for my rights right now Instead of like being relaxed, okay, that guy is making cool decision, good, he's good, he's calm, and he's doing what he should do instead of making a show as a ref. And every player is coming back to the room and watching whatever is happening on the tour overall. So I don't think we can, you know, like not being affected by it. I think in every sport, a good umpire is an umpire you don't notice. And I think in tennis is the same. If you don't realize who's the umpire, the guy's done a good job and Oregon. Maybe he feels that he has a valid case not to go down and check the mark. But his job is also, you were talking about drama. His job is actually to not create drama. And he could have easily diffused the situation by going down, showing a mark, even though he might feel this unnecessary. Then he could have re read the situation. He has a calm pulse. He's sitting in his chair. He realizes the players are pulse 200. A lot is at stake. Maybe he feels it's unnecessary, but if he goes down, he can defuse the situation and there's no incident and we move on. And talking of modern day technology, you know, electronics, I, I did read as I was as I was going through the 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 bump and that, that you get with the French Open, I, I saw that they are trying to make a, a stance, you know, which maybe finally I think what was we're looking at in terms of social media content, you know, that and Kieran, you're a you're a big tweeter. You know, and obviously you keep it within the the boundaries. You you act as you. You know, the the your opinions. You're you're happy to put it out there, but there is a real problem out there. You know that players, players, coaches. I even saw today. I think it was Zizou Berg's dad had posted something that he'd got completely abused. So families are are getting abused. So what it says is that there's an anti-online harassment and hate speech tool that's available to all the players this year. Um, and it, and it seems like it, it's it's something that they are going to start trying to take take seriously, and it, it's about time. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it is about time. Um, you're not going to stop it, and the only way you stop it is come off social media. But you know, if you if you're going to go on there, no matter what you write, you've got to have thick skin. I mean, Pierce Morgan is a classic. You know, with the stuff he writes, and he gets abused, but you've just got to rise above it. Um, Interestingly, I saw Djokovic is the most abused tennis player on the male side. They didn't have a female side, actually. Cam Norrie was, I think, on there in, in the top five, top six. But it's look, at the end of the day, it's water for ducks back. If you're gonna if you're gonna put stuff out there on social media, you've got to you've got to expect the backlash. Um tennis players get the most the most abuse out of all sports. Um, which I read today as well. So um, because obviously there's big betting behind it. It's probably one of the highest. Yeah, that's where it comes from, sport. yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a lot of racial abuse. Um, and I think it's even worse when, you you know, they, they haven't looked at the players lower down the rankings who are playing challenges futures that uh, get the abuse. But, but there's no identity, is there? The, the, the point is, 
I could make a, a Twitter account called Rain Clouds tonight and nobody knows that it's me. You know, so but that's that, what it, one it, of fifteen you've got already, yeah. I won't say any more names. But in terms in, in terms of you, Emily, it, it I would imagine it's something that you've received. It, you know, it's Kieran's sat there saying it's water off a duck's back. Is it? You know, is it is it something that actually when you're already very vulnerable, you know, you've had a tough loss, you know, everything that goes with losses, we, we all know that pain. That pain is is deep, you know, it cuts really deep. And then you jump online and you have all sorts of things being flung at you. How does it make you feel and how do you handle it as a player? Yeah, I think it's one of those occasions when you're literally, it, you're at your low point when you went, like you said, when you finished. And whether you're cooling down or whether recovery's done or whatever, and you're checking your phone and then there's literally like 100 messages just abusing you after you've lost or if you've been in a winning position and then lost or you've been expected to win or whatever um and it's more what they say rather than the people who are actually saying it um and how they say it and and we've all read it from different players who have then posted it or whatever and it's literally like pages of people who have been blocked on my insta or, or my facebook messaging um but it goes into it goes into another inbox originally but then you still have to read some of those messages sometimes um and yeah i mean i think most of the time you have a pretty thick skin with it because you know that it's irrelevant but there's a couple of comments particularly if something's going on in in your personal life which they don't know which with yeah. which they touch um and yeah it really it, it can really sting you um but i mean thick skin is all very well and good when you say it but it's not so easy when you're I don't know, in the middle of nowhere, you've lost a tight match and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough moment for you. And it's a, it's an extra, it's an extra thing that, you know, mental health, we talk about it a lot, thank God nowadays. But when we're talking about the challenges of being on tour already, and, and, and it's an extra thing that can put somebody in a dark place or can send them into, into a different area. And, and and certainly one, and I've experienced it this year with the two week tournaments now that they're playing, you know, the, 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 the masters events that, I mean, it felt to me like Rome was like a six week tournament. It was like, when is Rome? <laughs> Rome is still happening. Oh my God. And it's still raining in Rome, you know, and it just went and it went and it went. Who likes it? You know, commercially, I think it seems to work. Otherwise it wouldn't happen. Gabby as a player, two week tournaments. What do you think? uh as a player who plays predominantly doubles yeah not my favorite thing in the world um there's a lot of waiting around if you lose early there's a ton of time before the next event even when you're winning okay you may have days off here and there but i'm sorry with the scoring format that we have having no ad and the super tiebreakers you don't really need that many days off because you're not being pushed physically to the limits as you might be in a slam, especially if you're playing two events. Um, what I will say is that it would probably encourage more players who play predominantly singles to play more doubles because they have more time to do so and they have more recovery in between. Um, they could play singles one day, doubles the next day. Sometimes they may get doubled up, but if they win, they'll have a day off. So in terms of scheduling, I think it helps, but at the same time, I would say the tournaments like Madrid and Rome have not figured out their scheduling yet. Um, last year in Madrid, we had a disaster with scheduling where Jess Pagula had to play singles and then a doubles quarterfinal. And 
um, semifinal this same day, I think. And it was like, how do you have a two week event? And that ends up happening. Um, you had all the time in the world. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on the match schedule plan, which I know they're done well in advance, months and months in advance uh, with the tournament director, broadcast, WTA, the supervisors, all that. But yeah, I mean, we haven't really had too many issues Indian Wells and Miami, I would say, with scheduling. So maybe the tournaments that are going to be new two-week events need to look at them and see what they've been doing right for a long time so far. What about yourself as a coach, Piot? For, for, for what's your... I know we had a we had a chat offline last week in Soto, and I know that you know you 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 saw saw it in a bit of a different way, and maybe they could use the time a little bit more effectively. Yeah, I think. Two weeks event would be great if the game in the first week would be condensed and then in the second week we would have more events of lower ranks to rank tournaments. Yeah. And even on the same side, why not to organize 250 on the same side? So this this is just the logistical question of making more games, making more match play, because I've actually canceled my WTA TV last week because in Rome there I had two or three matches to watch through the week what's the point of using that subscription <laughs> and i'm a coach and i shouldn't actually do this but you know like if you think logically like there is no content it's second week of a big tournament and there are only five matches through the week five four singles four doubles thank you for coming that's all and if we actually have the second week events which gonna happen and Hopefully it will, because 125, uh, okay, it's an option for WTA, some challengers in a, on the men's side, but it's still different product. It's not the same. It's not even made commercially on the same level as, as WTA or ATP events. Then it's it's just tough. It's just boring and it's not interesting. Scheduling was terrible, as Gabby said. Like nothing was working there well. And everybody is just tired. What to do with yourself? It's raining. Go, go to another rainy place and play another tournament it's not an option there like what to do with, with yourself that's why i came to soto that was the best decision well that's that's what everyone <laughs> needs to do pr you know screw, exactly screw, screw the 250s you know get get <laughs> get yourself to soto but in in terms in terms of the first week so so to clarify and freddie I'd love to hear what you you think about this. I think what Piot's saying is, you know, can you almost get to quarterfinals stage? You know, so and and, and maybe in the doubles, uh, the, the doubles you almost get into semifinals, maybe, or you know, you you you're basically in the first week getting to the point where the second week becomes a little bit like a slam, quarterfinals onwards or or last sixteen onwards, and then you've got all of those courts put on another event there. You know, if people want to stay, you've got you've got the the fans coming in with the ground passes. They can watch players that are knocked out, not even that early. Because right now, unless you lose first round, you pretty much can't play the next week anyway. Uh, what what's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I like what I heard there. I thought there were good ideas, creating some valuable content and maybe also give some uh, some opportunities for the lower rank guys. I think Casper Root also made a point about uh, players having to bring their teams for a longer period of time and not having options and then paying for them. And it, it, it's, I don't know. I'm also not a big fan of it. I didn't, I lost interest as well during the week. I didn't see the points. Um, and especially then when they ended up having horrible scheduling and, and, and this, then it really just becomes a, what is really the point? Um, so, so yeah, 
uh, when I first saw the schedule, uh, the idea to make it two weeks, I was skeptical. And now having seen it in in real life, I'm uh, not more convinced. So, yeah, I like those ideas. I hadn't thought about it myself, but I like it. Yeah, do something else. Make some make some more content. Why not give give the people something to watch? Because maybe maybe with time, it will grow to to have the same kind of importance as Indian Wells in Miami, who basically are unofficially the fifth and sixth slam. I just don't think Madrid and, and Rome are big enough for it yet. Um, but maybe in time it will be, who knows? But yeah, I, I, I was unimpressed. And get Piot's subscription back. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um, yeah, I just from my perspective, from being the ranking that I'm at, the two week events actually give they do give an opportunity with the second week with there being a 125. During Madrid, there was a 125 in St. Malo. And during Rome, there was a 125 the second week in Florence. Um, Florence was obviously easier to get to. St. Malo was a nightmare for a lot of players. But regardless of that happening, the difference in the list from everyone's point of view was an absolute nightmare as regards the scheduling from Madrid. And for all of us players that were wanting to play that tournament and the supervisors and everybody else, nobody had a clue what was going on with with players who were still in Madrid or players that were still in Rome. And both of those 125s, especially St. Malo, were like, it was the, the difference in how the list looked from a Friday to a Saturday was absolutely ridiculous. It looked, yeah. I mean, qualities of St. Malo was was way weaker than any challenger I've played um, this year. So I agree that, that there definitely needs to be other events, perhaps like you said, on the same site. But I think with that, you also have to bear in mind that although it's an opportunity for us, it also messes everyone's schedule up with that second week, even if you're not playing the two-week event. Um, and I think about you gabs but between for gabby between madrid and rome with them both being back to back uh with them being back to back tournaments but with them both being two week events there was so much dead time where they're assuming that people are european and can just go to a european base did somebody uh, say soto <laughs> <laughs> well if the whole world and his wife could come to soto i think it would have been a better idea than where everyone went people are literally looking for places to train and trying to organize things last minute because they can't plan it because you don't know how you're going to get on. Um, and, you know, it was it's very, very tricky if players are from Brazil or, or from Aussie or from wherever um, in that amount of time to, to go back in the middle of the season. Um, so I do think even costs with accommodation and, and with the team, like that the guys said, is, is really difficult if, if you're not sure what's going on. Um, and Gabby, having been seeded and having had a bye, um, also doesn't doesn't play till like the first Thursday of that week. So if you lose early, even the week before Madrid, you you've got almost ten days before your first match. I was like, have you not played yet? Have you not played yet? Or the Sunday? Um, Some people the Sunday in the doubles. Yeah, like it's crazy. And then the rest of the year, obviously, there's other times when it's so jam packed. You're flying long haul overnight to you know to play the next day. So yeah, I think that was. I think it's an interesting point with adding extra events on the same site, but I think they've also got to be careful that it doesn't affect it to that extent that the no one knows what's going on with any of the lists. Yeah, but there are probably like the ways to make it happen, even with separating two lists, one which is made in advance for players who are not playing the tournament at the moment, and one which 
can you know be created at the end of the time of the first week where players can sign okay we are here we're playing let's sign but of course it's there there are some difficulties they need to be uh, there would have to be a lot of things to consider but still i think like without those bigger events uh, like you said even 125 everybody's signed but nobody is coming in the end because they cannot or they don't want to and this is bad because it's actually affecting the tournament so actually building one another event on site would could be the answer to this question yeah Uh, and by the way with the content we're also like yeah there are the smaller events uh, smaller but smaller compared to the masters thousands and obviously a tournament like bordeaux had some had some really good players, especially because there were some former slam champions on the men's yeah. side that that had lower rankings in. But it doesn't really get out to the tennis world. It's not really shown on TV. It's it's for 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 the average fan in the, in America. There's no way of, of following that tournament and stuff. And yeah, there's no perfect scenario. There's no perfect schedule. But I think that there the two week tournaments are just drowning us in in nothingness i feel and i think maybe it wouldn't work but i think it would, would be worth the chance because yeah the, the the smaller events are obviously fine and it's great to have opportunities for players but from a from a fan perspective and selling the sport like unfortunately the challenges they like you had did you have murray playing varinka in, in Bordeaux, the, the second yeah. round, and then you had team. Yeah, I mean, you Gasquet. But who's I mean, going to see that? Who's going to see that? I mean, you might. Read well, about it was it. packed, but but the one. I mean, the one that there's obviously watching on TV and there's watching in person, but yes. but for me, my personal experience of Bordeaux, going from the Masters to to Bordeaux, it was really nice. The crowd was completely packed every match center court singles doubles didn't matter not a seat not a seat in sight we had routine so the the boys first match was wednesday final was saturday thank you very much you know turned up warmed up did our routine played a match got back on court worked on some things you know had some dinner went through the match next day boom boom it, it was such a nice feeling to to have that you know, it felt a lot less sterile, if I'm honest. It, you know, sometimes I think these big events can feel a little sterile and it's not as not as kind of warm and homely as that those sort of events. So I, I, I actually think there was so many positives in terms of what happened there at that club. I mean, they had, you know, Santuro came and did a, a workshop with the club members. You know, you had exhibition matches going on. There was, in terms of, for the local community, and in terms of what the, the content was in live in person, it was it was phenomenal. It would have been nice for people to have watched that on TV as well. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm sure Exxon Provence was the same. I mean, they, they had a great event, they had more people showing up, and that's great. I'm not taking anything away from that. Yeah. But, but the, the global audience of TV, of, of tennis fans, they're really missing out on that unless they're like uh, super fans that stream it or, or whatever. And it's just, it's a good story that doesn't really come out. So I I, I don't think that the, these two-week tournaments are a way to move forward, but that's just my personal opinion. It doesn't help when you've got the tennis channel showing uh, pickleball and um, paddle tennis and not even showing proper tennis. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's sh- shocking. Renee Stubbs just put something out on Twitter today just saying she's done with it. Um, well, just, they talked about golf the... as well. 
Yeah, and just on the terms of of, of these these events, I, 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 yeah, the two week. I mean, obviously, when I travelled with back in the day, there were one week events, and I I also think uh, players like momentum. And you know, if you play, you know, if you take Casper uh, Ruud, he had two days off before he played the semis. I think you know that when you get into latter stages, you, you know, you're playing best of three sets. The guys, you know, the guys can get up and go again tomorrow. Um, I don't, you know, they're, they're having more days off than they haven't planned. It's, it's pathetic. And then um, on that, I also think that um, you've got to be careful of having events in the second week of those events just in case you devalue the brand of, of that event. So, you know, it, you could hypothetically have, say, Djokovic losing first round in, in one of these and going, well, I'm going to stay and play, the, play again. And then there comes a scheduling nightmare because they're going to want to play him on center or play him on the show court. And he's obviously going to get more people watching him than they are going to get to watching, you know, what, what the actual tournament is. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, maybe, maybe making, making them 10 day events, you know, starting on the Wednesday, finishing the following week or, or, or just do, do it from, you know, you know, qualities, maybe, maybe qualities on, on like Thursday, Friday, and then the event goes Saturday to Sunday. Gabby's a player, Emily's a player, you know, looking at it from their perspective, yeah, it's not, it's not right. So I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot for both to, to look at and get around the table and get it sorted. Um, and then also they've got to start also making, you know, tennis look a little bit more appealing to, to the audience because the, the numbers are down globally. We hit on that at the Australian Open when Renee Stubbs was trying to say that, you know, the ratings were through the roof. Um, it's got to be looked at and, and, but then I also think like the superstars need to do a lot more. You know, when you, when you look at the Netflix, the, the tennis versus the golf, you know, you've got, you've got McElroy, you know, putting in all, all the hours and everything in, in, into golf and, and having that conversation. You, you're not, we're not seeing the big superstars like Djokovic or, or Nadal having that same impact uh, for the public to see. And I think that they may be going about it the wrong way. My question is actually if it's about big brands or it's about smaller brands nationally in their countries to build behind the scenes to show what we are doing because it's actually connecting with those bad messages or like uh, hate in the in the web same for me if players gonna show more of their life people gonna feel assimilate with them gonna be sorry when they're gonna lose instead of being you know angry on them because they lost a bet but they don't know what's happening like we said they don't know what's happening behind the scenes because all we show is one picture 20 posts from the tournament on instagram and that's all and it's just not a story and it's not interesting people in those times watching shorts video don't want to watch match which lasts three hours they want to see something quick something nice what's happening even if somebody is crying they are interested i know a lot of people my friends who are working in the cor corporations they are willing to spend two three hours a day watching different people live and why we are not sharing that which is probably something interesting for them for us it's everyday basics so it's it's nothing to show, but for them, who knows? I think that's a really good point. And it leads to the bigger question of how much do we show of ourselves on social media? Because for most of us, it's a highlight reel and it's not showing our authentic, vulnerable selves. But at the same time, when you're an athlete, you've been told your entire lives to not show vulnerability. Um, and that vulnerability is weakness and that people can use that against you. So I think as an athlete, you have that element of 
okay, I'm just going to show that I'm strong and everything's great. And I'm practicing hard and we're doing this. That's fun. Okay. A little bit off court, but you're in the gym and all this stuff and you don't really show your struggles. But I think what you're saying, Piotr, is like people relate to the struggles. Everyone is struggling with something, whether it's something back home with family, whether it's something financial, whether it's something professional, whether it's something with your friends, like there's always something going on. And so I feel like I think you're right. There's something to be said for being able to describe what's going on in our lives in a way that's relatable to other people. And that, you know, as an athlete, you're not just this hero that shows up that you've got crap that's going on. Even with Emer today, like you said, Freddie, maybe he's got someone else going on and he was just triggered. And we don't even know why he exploded like that. It probably wasn't just over a line call. Maybe it was something else. Maybe not. Maybe I'm speaking at a turn. He just had a bad day. But you know what I mean? It would be good to know these things about us, I think. Maya, if you, the two examples that jumped to mind for me, Andy Murray was not that loved until 2012 and he, when he lost the Wimbledon final to Roger Federer. And, and he cried his eyes out live on global television. And, and everybody felt every single part of that. And from that day, he's been able to open up and show his personality in lots of different ways. So that was an act of vulnerability. A bit of an off-topic one. Freddie, I know you'll know him because he's an ex-Liverpool player, Graeme Souness, a, a football player, Graeme Souness. He has been my most hated pundit for football for the last 20 years. He annoys me. He used to be, a, I'm a big Newcastle United fan. He was a Newcastle manager. This guy, like, honestly, did my head in, like, every time he was on TV. Two days ago, he was on, he was on TV. I saw the clip and he was crying his eyes out and he's, he's, he's swimming the channel. I think he's aged like 65, 70. Amazing story. And there's a real story behind that from a close family friend who has a really rare disease, illness, and live on national television, this really hard, he was known as like a a real hard guy on the football pitch. And that's what he came across as a pundit as well. Showed 30 seconds of vulnerability. My 20-year opinion has completely changed. You know, I'm now in his yep. corner. I'm now completely in his corner, you know, and and I think those those things jump out for me. Are you, well, why are you calling a vulnerability? Well, I mean, he's, why why don't you just say he's human? I mean, I, I don't think it, it's it's yeah. you're showing any sign of vulnerability. I just think yeah, but it's showing, it's showing a human, human side, isn't it? It's showing a human side, which vulnerability is 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 a it, we're we're all vulnerable, but a lot of people don't show that human side. But that's the side that so many of us connect to. You know, and when we're when we're talking about the sport having having challenges, difficulties to get people into the sport, you know, eyes, eyeballs on the sport against so many things, you know, people relate and connect to human beings, whether that's vulnerability, whether that's anger, whether that's frustration, whether you know, it's it's human emotion and, and human ways that we all connect to, I think. And vulnerability is not a negative word. It's just it means real. And that you showed up and you put yourself in a position for other people to criticize, you know, like that saying about it's not the critic who counts. Like it's yeah, I don't think vulnerability it means anything bad. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Guys, we we could go for we could turn this into all sorts of all sorts of topics, but we're we're here for the French Open. 
2023. So I'm gonna we're gonna start moving into that area and storylines. You know, we're gonna get and I I want us to start on on the on the women's side. We we have a big three. I believe we do finally have it you know we love talking we love labeling in this sport you know we've had that you know the big three or the big four on the men's side for all these years and it feels like there's a big three starting to show themselves on on the women's side certainly i i, I believe this year that the the three that we're talking about have been in the final of all of the big events so far this year so so Piot, what what storyline should we be looking for you know is it going to be about the big three is it going to be about someone else coming through? You know, give us some inside information. What should we be looking for on the women's side this year at the French Open? Actually, I've been lucky today watching all of those top three players practicing. So so I saw a little bit. Uh, I don't know, uh, Gabby, if you played today on side, but for me, if the condition is going to be like that windy, it's actually pretty quick this year comparing to last year's. It's uh, I don't know why. Why? Of course, balls are dead. They are not flying after two, two probably two, three minutes of hitting. So, so it's it's difficult to to actually win the point. Even the points are quick, but it puts for me, for example, Rybakina is actually a contender for today. To, to, this this time for the trophy, Iga of course always there fighting because she loves playing on clay and she's moving great. But if she's gonna be injured, we don't know. She was hitting well today, but who knows what's gonna happen in a two weeks events? And Sabalenka just smiling and crashing the balls as always in the practice. So it might be really really tough battle there. And and storylines, what 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 are we looking for, Freddie? You know, is there any any storylines that you see jumping up? You know, we've We've been talking about last year. I think we were talking about Serena coming back at some point. We we haven't we haven't seen that yet. We made that bold bold prediction. You know what what should we be looking for in the in the in the women's side this year? I think the 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 women have been faced with some unfair situations because a lot of the attention leading up to the French Open has been about not tennis, but about all sorts of other shenanigans that are really unnecessary. So I think that hopefully the storyline will be that they can, they can get a chance to just play proper tennis and not have to worry about if they play at midnight, are they allowed to do a speech? Who does this? Who does that? Absolute nonsense. Just let them play proper tennis and let's let the rackets talk. And hopefully there won't be this um, talk off court that hasn't been the case uh, with the men the last few weeks. What 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 about you, Emily? Where 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 are we looking? And you know, Freddie Freddie mentioned that. Are we are we going to be talking about birthday cakes? Are we going to be talking about speeches on or, or non speeches? But or, or what are we what are we going to be talking about on the tennis court? Hopefully not. But there's always some drama at the French, so you never know. Um, I actually had a conversation with Gabby today about the about the conditions and about whether. Rybakina and Sabalenka um, are in a position where they can move well enough on the clay to stand up to the clay quarters, etc. And with how fast it is and with how it's difficult, more difficult to move because of that reason, um, with the wind and with there being less clay on the court, then I think it is possible for either of them to win it. Um, and we've seen it in years before with Sharapova and how hard she worked um, on her clay court movement to just 
turn it around and win the French when she did. Um, so I definitely think it's possible. Um, but Eager's record obviously talks for itself. Um, I would love personally somebody like Ons to win it. Um, but those three have really shown shown what they're made of in the last however long um, and they've continued to do so it wasn't just like from Australia and then the wheels came off it's actually they've continued on a consistent basis to play very very high level tennis and Piotr I, I have to ask you we can't have you on as as the coach of Iga when she first won Roland Garros and not get some insight into this she's lost I believe three big matches to Riva Kina this year um, I, I believe I believe there was an, an exhibition match at the in December where she got blown away two and one or you know quite 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 comfortable. How how does she deal with that? You know, as being obviously there's, there's the pressure of being the favourite, but then all of a sudden one of the rivalries that's starting to happen, she's coming second best in that rivalry so far in 2023. So mentally, how how is she going to deal with that? I don't really know right now what she can do about it because uh, Rebakina is just playing well. It's not about Iga playing badly. Of course, she has, uh, like everybody, up and, up and downs. But uh, I would say that actually, first tournament I went with Iga, junior tournament, junior event, which is happening this week, which is uh, Milan uh, junior yep. event. Iga lost against Rebakina in a final, oh, and okay. that was probably the first lose against Rubakina. Then she won Ostrava, so she, she was like, uh, let's say, doing better than, than Elena, but right now it's tough. I think if the weather condition is going to stay like that, and it's, I think right now, looking like it's going to be dry and gonna, going to be windy, then I, I think there, it's not a mental battle anymore. You just need to go on a court and show that you are better. If it's going to be gonna get heavy and gonna get rainy and it's gonna get slower then i think iga will just go on the court and just will have fun and there's gonna be everything what she have to do and kieran can can you see a winner coming from outside of those three i know you mentioned ons but she's she the results wouldn't say that you know that's you know do you do you, do you think that now we are genuinely talking about you know, which which of those three is going to win, which of those two is going to be in the final. You know, I know we, we've we made some bold statements over the years. Um, I always go back to the, the Xavier Melisse on this, on this show told us that Osaka was going to win as many Grand Slams as Serena Williams. He couldn't see anything else. And then we haven't seen her for two years, you know. So we know that things change very fast and it's not easy to stay in those positions. But... Uh, can you can you see anyone truly outside of those those players right now? No, not at all. I, I'm, I, I mean, out of those, those three, based on current form, um, I would just still back Zavalenka um, with her with her power game. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's difficult difficult to 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 go against them. I, I think that there's too big a gap between how they're performing right now and the and the rest. Um, and the other, you know, the other contenders have, have had niggles and injuries going into a slam. So yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't see it. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to say someone like Coco Goff can come through and and do some damage, but not in current form. Is it really that far fetched? If one of the other top three girl, uh, uh, one that is not uh, one of the top three wins, I don't think it's that far fetched. 
I think they have pretty good depth at the women's side in the top. Yeah, they might stand out, but I don't think it will take a surprise of a, of a lifetime. Or maybe I'm just wrong. Okay, name one. Name one. You upset Togo Golf. I don't think it would be too weird if Pegula won a slam at one point. Garcia no, at home. No, no, we're talking about the French. Let's talk about the French. Exactly. That's the... a slam. Talking about the French, like this tournament. Can can yeah. can Pegula upset those top three in this tournament yeah. based on current form? Well, I mean, based on current form, yes and no. But then that's yes why or no. Yes or no. Give me a yes or no, Fred. Yes, of course. Okay. I mean, if it's a yes or no, of course. I mean, of course you can. I, don't, I can't sit on current form. Of course you can. No. I mean, that's the, you know as well that, that, that there's no such... I mean, just in, in basic sporting terms, nothing is given before you play the match. But, I mean, are you going to fall off your chair if you see her beat one of those three? Yeah, I am. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I can imagine that uh, Jesse will go and win one or two matches against those three. But uh, let's wait for a draw and then pick, pick our choices. Because if she has to go all, all through all of them... then. And I don't think she will stand a chance in all those three battles, one after another. So it all depends on the draw right now. And and most likely she won't, but it's not like it's Leicester winning the Premier League here, right? We're talking about really good players who are highly ranked in the world and are not scared of beating these girls. Or But, uh, but you're saying that, but you, you, the names you used, Coco, and, and I know Coco is your girl, you know, and you've you've gone for Coco. She's not. She's not there right now, mate. She's not. Like I, I also seen her play a lot. Is a different beast than she's you not there. Up. She's not there. The level's not there right now. She's the level's not there. It's it's it just it just isn't. It, Caroline Garcia. I love Garcia. I think she's amazing. Like I, I've, I've been on the court practice next to her a couple of times in these events the last few weeks. And she's like hitting serves, like she's hitting the cones, like she's embarrassing all the guys, like with how accurate and you know how how she's hitting the ball. She's having mental breakdowns when she plays a match right now, you know, and that, that's a that's a very difficult thing I think to turn around so so quick. And and I'm going through the list right now, and that's what I'm saying. I think there is now a genuine big three. You know, you go through the list and you go, poor. I think it is quite hard to see right now, you know. And we know in tennis, of course. Radicano a few years ago, you know, we 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 know that these these stories can happen. So it's absolutely wrong to say it's not going to happen. You know, however, I think it is absolutely right that we're saying it, it. It seems unlikely. It seems like it's coming from 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 that group. I don't know what you think, Gabby. Tough to say. I mean, I agree with Freddie that the depth of women's tennis is is pretty far down right now. Um, I mean. If we want to talk about Jess, we can see how far she's come and the level that she's been able to reach. I mean, she was, I love Jess. Uh, she was totally floating around 150 to 250 for many, many years. And the fact that she's got to like top three um, is incredible because most people would not have even continued to try to break through. So I don't know. I think you just can't underestimate what happens in women's tennis right now maybe you have three that are breaking away a little bit but like piot said with the conditions it could totally depend on the day and just who handles it better but aren't we being a little hypocritical in terms of you know the last the last three four five years the the complaint of women's tennis is that anybody can win 
You know, we've we've kind of complained that, you know, someone showed up and won and then disappeared and we haven't created any rivalries and it's it's been hard to really get our teeth into it. Where I guess for me it, it is that we're celebrating that that fact, I think. I think it's I think it's great that there's rivalries forming. You know, eager for a while there was looking like no one could touch her. 36 matches in a row, whatever. It was something along those lines. And now she's lost three times in a row to Rita Kina. You know, she's had, a, a, I think, one-on-one -on -one with Sabalenka. You know, the, the that's, I think we also need to embrace it. It's not saying that there isn't the depth there, but I think we do need to embrace it as well, that there's some rivalries that are starting to form. But this is now, and Emily, you're first, because... Almost anyone is a dark horse, if that's what we're saying. But where are the dark horses coming from? You know, you picked a fantastic one last time who didn't play in the draw. Um, but but it was a good one. She's a good player. I've watched her play. Yeah, because she's fifty in the world now. Yeah, so that was that was uh, that was a that was a good call. Um, who who should we be looking out for outside of outside of those big names over the next couple of weeks? Oh, am I allowed to say Ons? I mean, she's not really a dark horse. I, I mean, I feel like she's very established as a dark horse. No, um, not. but in terms of on the clay, I think it's more limited than it would be on other surfaces. Yeah, I mean, Kalanina had a great roam, but I can't see that. I can't see somebody like her going reaching quarters or something like that of of French. Um, yeah, if you, I, I'm I'm sticking with Ons if that's the if you want one name, but I think it's almost derogatory to her to say she's a dark horse. Yeah, so you go from not playing to a top five player in dark horse competition. What's happening here? Well, if I was allowed to go for Noskova again, I would. But hey, you can. We have to stick with our dark horses for a while. You know, I've, yeah. give, I've given up on Anissa Mova now. I said it too many times. <laughs> she hasn't come good. I gave her the, I gave her seven chances and that was it. <laughs> you know, like, no, no more. Vozzy, well, I've only on. given Noskova one chance, <laughs> so maybe I should go with her again. <laughs> Vozzy, th at this point, you're normally looking through the draw, but the draw's not being made yet. So who, who, we, who are we looking for? I, I always wait in bated breath for your dark horse. Um, the Egyptian girl. What's her name? Sheriff. Yeah, Sheriff. That's that's one. I'm going outside. She's Piot. had a few good wins. Piot. Uh, I'm going always with my player because I believe in her. So, <laughs> of course, of course, Shelby. But if uh, I would look wider, maybe Mukhova, maybe Vondrushova, Czech players who are underrated, right? Now they are playing well. The Vondrushova played well in Rome. Uh, Mohova is lastly playing great. So her practicing today, I think she's healthy. So why not? Who knows? Absolutely. And Gabby, where where are we where are we looking? Have we got what about the Canadian girls? Any anything coming from Canada? Yeah, I love Leila and Bianca. Um... Although Bianca's spending more time learning how to hit her through the leg shot. Than she is hitting the cross court forehand right now. It seems from social <laughs> we all media. Have to go, we all have to go through that learning period of of how to hit a tweener. <laughs> I'm still on mine, um, but I mean Bianca's game suits clay. If you really think about the true Bianca and her original identity to tennis, with her ability to mix up her shots, to use the drop shot, um, to use a big first serve, I feel like. 
2019 Bianca would have an amazing shot at winning Roland Garros. Uh, right now, with, with the body and not being able to string enough matches in a row, I think it's a little bit of a tough ask. Layla, beautiful game, beautiful human, also tough right now, I think, with just the way her year is gone. But uh, maybe a double slam for her and Taylor. I mean, hopefully <laughs> me, but like, if not me, then maybe them. <laughs> so, um yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky. I would love for Bianca or Layla to win. Hopefully they meet each other in the finals and all my dreams come true. <laughs> Freddie? I think this is the most difficult one because there are so many girls that are kind of dark horses, but then they have a slam or they're used to be top 10. Or... I found it difficult. I've settled on, on Sorana Kiestera this time for no particular reason that I have a vibe. She's got a Swedish coach corner i believe and uh, but there is a plenty of reason lastly she was playing great so i think like it's a good 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 pick yeah obviously she she would need to be playing well to be a dark horse and i think she's been playing well so thanks Prada. i feel much better now <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i did like you did dan i i i finally left my dark horse caddy Katie at the uh, away and and picked somebody else. So it's, it's a it's a dark day, but hey, you gotta gotta look forward. Hey, you've gotta you've gotta admit that we we're loyal. You know, oh, we, we we stayed loyal to our girls for for a good few episodes. You know, we didn't jump shit exactly. Early. So we call we call them forty five <laughs> times in a row, and then when they confuse it, I told you. <laughs> yeah. So mine mine's quite a light horse, probably, and I'll probably get a bit of stick for it, but. Ostapenko is is the yeah, one. Yeah, Grand Slam champ <laughs> as a dark horse. So it, it's it we've we've all agreed there's a top three, you know, and 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 just Ostapenko is a one that I I I just think she's got enough bitch in her that she can piss off some of those girls if it gets <laughs> into if it gets into big matches. She's not afraid. She's not she's not afraid to put it out there. So so that's my dark horse, and and now. We have to. Can I just say real quick? We need to define the rules of this competition because you pick a player who has actually won this tournament as a dark horse. That there has to be some sort of default for that. <laughs> Got to write it down. This is no good. First, yeah, there has to be a criteria, Dan. There's got to be a criteria. We'll, we'll we'll get a criteria for the next event. You know, let's, let's the, start with. You can't have won a slam, and two, you have to be participant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll take can, that. And you can't have made the semis of Rome the week before, which Ostapenko <laughs> also did. So that's why it's quite it is quite a light horse, possibly. And and what about our winner? I, I don't believe apart from Vozzi, who likes to sometimes chuck a random one in, but we know Sabalenka <laughs> is his. I think it's hard for us to, to go outside of, of of the big three. I'm sticking with it until it sticks. Um, Piot, who, who's your winner? I know Shelby is your is your number one, but you can't pick you can't pick Shelby. So who who's who's your winner? Women's twenty twenty three French Open. Iga, it's for me. It's like whoever feel most most comfortable on the client. It's Iga. Gabby, nothing else. Yeah, I'll agree. I'm also half Polish, so I don't really have a choice. I have to say Iga. <laughs> Vozzi, Zabalenka. She's my girl. Emily? Right, Bikina. Ready? 
Same, rather keener for me. Now, this is going to sound like it's been a setup, but it's not. We're we're two two two. I'm with you, Vozzy. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you this time. As much as I I would I would love eager, and you know I, I, I something doesn't quite seem right for me right now. I don't, I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the body. I don't know if it's uh, you, you. You never know. There's just something. I get a little feeling. I just think I think it feels right, Sabalenka. You know, she obviously in Rome. Rome was get me out of there. I need to get my mind and body ready. Um, she seems to have the confidence. So Sabalenka is my pick. So two of us are going to be happy, unless it's not in the big three. And let me, can I add something? If Jess wins against one of those three, we need the video of you falling down the chair, Vazi. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fall off the chair. No worries. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> can't do it in a million years right now at the, at the French Open. Yeah, I'll do it. We need it to go viral. So moving moving on to the men's side. Starting point, 112-3 and three in his career record at Roland Garros. And for for the first time in well, I know he's 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 missed one before, but for 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 a long period, I think everyone's sitting there thinking, is he going to play the French Open this year? Is it going to be his last ever tournament? I was the one. I must admit, I thought we'd see one more French out of him. He's come out a couple of weeks ago and said he's not going to be at the French Open. He's going to fight to get himself ready for twenty twenty four. Is that possible? And I want to start with you, Vozzy. You know, from a from a physical side, you know, everything that Rafael Nadal has put through his body over the last 20 years, you know, he's obviously struggling in in a, in a bad way. You know, he's tried lots of different things over the last uh, last few years to get him right. Um, he's announced that if he does come back, he's got one more year, which I don't particularly like either. I think that's going to be challenging for him if he's the fanfare that's going to follow him to every single event. Will we see him back on the competitive tennis court? Uh, my opinion, no. You know, like like you said, you know, if you wanted to play the French, you want to be able to compete to win. Um, and if he's going to, if he's going to do a farewell tour, it will, it will go against what he just said there on the French. So I think he, um, yeah, I mean, Federer would have loved to have played one more Wimbledon. But, you know, we haven't seen. We, we, you know, he he played as um, Labour Cup, and that was him. So I don't. You know, I can't see him coming back. I, I think he may try at the start of next year, but I think his body's his his body's been put through so much over the you know the twenty odd years that um, yeah, I think he's he 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 will maybe attempt to 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 start training later this year or whatever. But but yeah, no, I think he's. He will retire. I mean, look, he's had a good, a, a good innings and a great competitor, great, great athlete, great tennis player. But like any of these, uh, any of these stories, there's, there's, it comes to an end, unfortunately. Um, but you can't take take anything away from his accolades and what he's achieved. But no, yeah, I think physically, he's his body just keeps breaking down. He's it's been through too much. And and what does that do, Freddie, mentally for the for the rest of the tournament? And I think the one that for me, I've maybe seen maybe someone like Medvedev, who, you know, on hearing that news, he's always talked about hating clear courts. You know, I had a little laugh. Is he is he a dark horse or not? <laughs> we'll we'll see in a few minutes, Piot. <laughs> we'll we'll see we'll see what the criteria that's written down. You know, the the quick rules that were putting in place. 
But, you know, he was. I mean, Sinner, he beat Sinner in the final in Miami. And Sinner, in the interview, actually or made fun of Medvedev for let's see how you... Not in a nasty way. I don't think Sinner's got that in him. But let's see what you're going to do on the clay courts, mate. Uh, you know, maybe when he heard that news when he was in Rome that Nadal wasn't going to be in the French Open, maybe that's opened up the possibilities for him that he could go and win win on a clear court. And, and and what does that do to the rest of the field as well from a mental standpoint? Well, just the fact that he's in the in the draw makes everybody else think they're that he's going to win it by per default. So if he's not in it, I think a lot of players are going to smell blood and think this is our chance. Now it's now it's here. Uh, and I think, yeah, Medvedev might be be a good shout for somebody who can take advantage of that. But uh, I think there's a lot of guys in it to win it now. I think it's more open than it's been in a long time, especially because Novak is not looking great. So, it, uh, yeah, you were talking about storylines for the women's tournament. One of the storylines for, for Paris is obviously going to be the fact that Rafa is not there. And then hopefully it's going to be, uh, yeah, who wants who wants to to sit on the on the on the throne at the end of the, the tournament because I think a lot of guys can win. And Gabby, can we have a, a tour without Rafael Nadal? We've already we're just getting over Federer, aren't we? Yeah, I know, but it's inevitable in sports, you know. Like uh, it's it's sad for tennis for sure, but at the same time. I think there's such an amazing crop of other players coming up that are doing so well, that are playing amazing tennis, that are exciting personalities, that have a story to share, that I think tennis is going to be just fine. And and what about you, Emily? Where do you see where do you see the story? What's what's nobody seeing yet? You know, let's get into mystic, mystic Emily. You know, what are we going to see over the next couple <laughs> You don't of... want to do that. <laughs> the, the next couple of weeks on, on the men's side. I'm just, first, I'm just sad that Andy can't play. I'm sad that we don't get to see that. I um, think he could. So... I think he could have played. Yeah. I mean, he's practicing right now on the grass. I think it was, it was very much a strategy. I don't, I, I don't think it was in the plan to play. You know, I think, I think the plan was, was always to, to, to get on the grass early and and yeah. actually and actually if I'm honest I was shocked after he lost in Madrid that he didn't call the clay court season done then you know I think it was because I know that that was in his mind already yeah so, so that's I why think... I wondered when he made that decision I was wondering after you know to go and play Italy I was wondering then but I don't know maybe something wasn't right but I yeah I'm just, I was just I really wanted to see Andy play at the French um healthy but I think men's tennis is it's really interesting right now like it's it's capturing my attention um more than it has done um but I, I think from the last few weeks and and what we've seen as, as you said with Djokovic I think it's hard to to go against him but I, I'm not sure he's in the same place that he would have been normally coming into a slam when he hasn't got Rafa and, and Roger there um looking at it like it's a given. Yeah, I think the conditions also play a massive part um, for the men, especially. Um, yeah, let's see. I mean, everything to play for. Uh, Pia, on the ground in Paris, any any little insights you can give us? Anything that you're feeling on the ground that we're, that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks? 
not really. I wasn't spectating any any men's practices today, but I just want to come back to M uh, statement about how it's getting interesting interesting in men's side. I think it's interesting in women's side too for many years, last few years, and men's are getting right now to the spot where it's getting interesting too. So we shouldn't be actually talking that uh, it, it's something wrong that the depth of field is is bigger. But um, I think like actually conditions here really favor favor Alcaraz and this is this probably would be my pick but no story behind it just with my guts and the storyline will we will I'm sure get back to him maybe in some predictions Freddie is Danish Davis Cup captain with with Holger someone who has 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 had a, a part in his life and has, has known him from a, a very young age you know you've seen him develop We've had fascinating conversations on Holger over the years, you know, before his ranking is what it is. And the kid believes the kid. I mean, we, we always talked about it. Like he's got belief almost like no other, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think I saw a stat the other day. He's like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong guys, but it's something like he's won seven of his first eight matches against top 10 players, something where, and I think Federer was maybe four or five and the Dal was four or five. It's apparently the greatest ever start to a career in terms of winning percentages over top 10 players. He goes on court against Djokovic and a story that I, I heard from on, on the inside of his team on this, he massively, massively respects Djokovic to the point where when he beat him in Paris last year for the first 10 minutes after the match, all he talked about was how good Novak Djokovic was. Yet he's able to compartmentalize that because, you know, so many players, when we play our idols or we play these, let's be honest, they're, they're almost not human to us. We've put them on such a plateau when when push comes to shove, a lot of players don't quite get over the line. Yet, he's won his last two matches against him. He seems to be winning a lot in practice from what I'm hearing against him. You know, he he's, he's just not scared to put himself in those positions. You know, we're really starting to see this kid could be going on to great things, eh? Absolutely. You said he believes. I always kind of said he doesn't believe he knows. You don't have to convince him. He doesn't have to convince himself he can do it. He knows he can do it. And he goes onto the stage and he feels like he belongs. The bigger the stage, the bigger he'll play. The bigger the opponent, the better he'll play. And that's why he's he's going to be successful with tennis if he stays healthy. And you can see he gets better and better. Yeah, he's a he I mean I've I've like you said I've seen him and I've I've, I've seen him developed and for the first few years when he was young, it was I was always on the fence because I couldn't empathize with what he was going through because it was so far from my reality. So I was kind of like, is he mad or is he genius? I don't know, but I'm not going to get in his way of, of of doing what he thinks is the right thing. And now I'm just completely 100% on the side of genius with, with his tennis. He's he's a genius and he keeps developing when he comes off the court. He's He knows what he's... He's decently reflective enough to say, okay... Uh, I'm not good enough there. I need to be 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 better and whatnot. But he has absolutely believed. I mean, he doesn't believe that he's going to win slams. He knows. I mean, it's completely given for him that he will win slams. So that's that goes a long way. And then he has the tennis to back it. And I think we we he just needs how to needs to figure out how to spread it out over a long period of time. 
Like he gets he gets a little bit tired because he uses a lot of energy to win his matches, but he will figure that out. And and it's just a matter of time. And why not in Paris here? I I, I think he can he can win. I'm not gonna be shocked. I'm not gonna do a Vossi and fall off my chair if he wins. Piot, as a as a coach of of a singles Grand Slam champion, you know, of of, of a genius on, on on the women's side who's, you know, in, in eager and being around it, is is that a mindset that I love what you say, Freddie? About it's not about belief; it's about knowing. You know, it's such a it's such a strong thing, isn't it? And the the word identity always comes to my mind on that as well because it's it's something that's a little bit deeper. But can you teach someone to know? Can you teach someone to 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 believe? Or is that something as a coach that it's just like that's that's their bit? You know, you can help in all these other areas. What's what's your take on that? Uh, I would say it's not our role to actually teach that. It's parents' role and people who are the closest to the to the athlete. Because Iga father as an Olympic athlete uh, from Seoul, he never even considered other option, and it wasn't like being insane or being crazy. It was always normal, natural. She was losing. He was teaching her it's so natural, so normal, like as winning. As she was winning and she was too happy, he was keeping her down, but never let her go too much either way. But exactly as Rune is saying, Iga had always been, when she was young, she was saying, I just want to win four Grand Slams and finish my career. But she meant to win all of them. And it wasn't in her thinking the way, like, maybe I will win. She always knew. She believed in that, that she can win all of them. And I I can only, you know, applaud to that because it's it's great. It's not something we teach players, it's something they grew up with. What are the what and this is to the table, so whoever wants to jump in on this, what are the challenges of that mindset? Because that's it's so abnormal, you know, it's not it's extraordinary. It's not it's not an everyday mindset that we that we come across so what are the big challenges of of one dealing with that as the team around the player but two that the player has to deal with as well uh disappointment i would say disappointment perspective because one thing is 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 talking you walk the walk talk the talk right so you, you can you can there say, is still work to do yeah yeah you can you can tell the things but um actually de- delivering it and you know you, we've you go the other way where where you've got you you may have what what Fred's saying there about Runa and then then you've got the other side where the public are saying say something about like say for example Dimitrov the public were saying Dimitrov is going to you know be be the next you know the next Federer he's going to win all these slams um, and you, you know he hasn't. Um, so I think, yeah, but I think the people, I think the people around, around the player would probably just try to keep them level, level headed and keep the feet on the ground and just say there's a lot of work to, you know, that's got to, got to go into your, your belief system. Um, yeah. Do they, do they enjoy, do you think you're able to enjoy, experience enjoyment, contentment, these, these emotions when you're, there's such a, a, such a known of of going on to achieve such great things. Um, probably not, because the intensity the intensity must be immense. Um, 
behind it. So I think I think it's probably more relief if you actually go and and achieve what you what you believe in. Um, but uh, you've got to, you know it's a huge cliff to fall off if you don't. Uh. Yeah, and to to extend that, there's a lot of former athletes who were very good who kept saying that. They, they never really they wish they had taken more time to enjoy the process because as soon as they did something they were already worrying about the next thing worrying about the next thing yeah absolutely you, yeah. you, you, you hear it all the time yeah and, and and you see it all the time one point to 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 extend to what Vossi says about people talking I think in general canceling the noise because from from the outside if you have we take for example in Denmark it's very it's not very common for people to 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 be so direct in what they want and what they think of themselves and so a lot of people uh you know they are very much in a rush to tell you that you can't do it so a lot of people will tell you that you can't do it and uh, that you're crazy and it's the same with, with, with athletes so i think it's also important and the challenges can be to 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 block out all the noise yeah, I think Dan, just going back to what just going back to what you said, I think when when you said that we would we would consider that abnormal, that thought process of of knowing that they can win a slam. That's our perception. So that's society's perception. So for them it it actually might be entirely normal thought. Yeah. Um and we deem it that perhaps even in a more British way, perhaps, and I don't want to say that it, it you know, being wrongly about against us but I think there's definitely certain countries who would stand up more easily and say um that that's yeah. that's a more normal mentality yeah. um but I think that's changing definitely um but just even the way that we talk about it and the way that yeah explained with eager is that if you've been conditioned from a young age to be to be also told by the people around you that you're that you're the best and you're you're brilliant and and you can win a slam then it just that's just an everyday normality for you so it's whatever is normal for you to believe in the same way that that can work the other way if people tell you you're not good enough then you you also just you, you start to believe that until you prove that you still start to prove yourself wrong and you start to prove other people wrong um, but it's whatever's normal for you, and it's not necessarily defined by what society believes or thinks is normal or abnormal. I'm not sold on that, though. Train of thought, because I have a, a thought one, which is which might be useful too. Like everybody has some risk management, and for some people, aiming for a line going to be risky. For other, aiming for two meter side of the sideline going deep deep into the court would still be risky and everybody's a little bit different and this is something which is created on the way when we are getting to the top and we cannot control it and i think we are putting too much right now into thinking like oh they believed in that but they actually never been thinking about it that way if somebody asked them Oh, will you win a Grand Slam at the age of 16, 17? They, of course, going to say yes, but they are not thinking about it every day and not putting that uh, above their bed. It's just natural for them. It's like it's natural for them that they're going to yeah. achieve things. They don't know. They're not sure it's going to be Grand Slam, but they know they will reach their potential. And I think this is different than actually being, like you said, pushed down every single time you do something better than something more than anybody else. 
But so, so my my point on 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 that the, the disagreement little bit or the the thing that I find hard, well, the thing I find so hard about the thought, some of the thought processes, is how hard and how generational it is to have uh, an Iga, an Alcaraz, a Ru you know, there's, there's, we, we don't know yet. We don't know if any of those are generational compared to, you know, some like your Serena's, your, your, your Novak's, your, your Rafa's. If it's as easy as telling your kid, and I'm, I'm dumbing this down a little bit here, but if it's as, as easy as telling your kid that they are amazing, they can achieve anything, they can, we're going to have millions of parents around the world who will do almost anything for their kids to achieve to high levels that are just going to be going around telling the kids that. And, 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 and my, in my experience, I, I actually see quite a lot of entitlement that comes out of that. I don't always see strong belief systems that come out of that. that you, you know, exactly. I, That's, but look at the body language, even, even simple things. If you are lying and you're saying you're going to be a great champion, yeah, it's a lie. That's something we cannot control. But if you are saying you're gonna give everything what you have tomorrow today in a practice, or you did, or you will, yeah, that's something different. And this Absolutely. is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. if you strongly believe in the basics, then it's different than when you're claiming a lies because those are lies. You're gonna win a grand slam. This is something which parents, if they're gonna say, those are lies, and it's not accurate, and it's probably not gonna happen. But that's what I'm saying for me in those two cases, which, which we talk about, it never happened. Nobody ever said ever around, you're going to be a great champion. Nobody ever mentioned that. Everybody said, okay, there is work to do. And first, if we do the work, then we can see where we're going to get. And that was simple as that. And even if there were like tough times, everybody was like, okay, it's injury. We have half a year off. Not because... Uh, we're stopping the career. We're just doing using this half year to make you better player. And it's simple as that, but it's the toughest work in the world because I know that not everyone, and I would even say not a lot of people in the world understand what process is. So this is really difficult. I just wanted to say, uh, but but I think you can say it a little bit differently that the the geniuses and the extraordinary talents, they need to have some sort of, I guess that's what Emily's saying. They need to have their path cultivated and and created this environment where they can thrive. Uh, yeah. In in however was I also agree with you, Dan, that you can't just take up a blank canvas and and create a champion. But I certainly don't think that that the champions can get to where they are without having had the path uh, cultivated by the parents. Yeah, things need to align along yeah, the way absolutely. for it to still happen. Belief is just one part of it. Because I was about to hustle off this podcast and go and wake my kids up and just tell them and start the start the process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because because they, they they're not they're not Holger Rune right now or they're not Egan Sriatek right now. So I was about I was about to start the process. It's a great great discussion, guys. A one we could jump into more, but I need some dark horses. There, none of this picking ex Grand Slam champions. <laughs> Okay, what what if I would say Fritz? Dog, yeah, that, that could work. Is it a dark horse? Um, <laughs> Fred is like <laughs> Freddy's the dark. Freddy's the dark horse police. So let's. <laughs> That's a horse, all right. 
okay, okay, okay. So that's that's probably my pick. Only because uh, I wouldn't see him winning on clay. So that's. I think that's a dark that, horse. I will. Yeah. I will fall off. I will fly to London, sit on Vozzy's chair, and fall off it if Fritz wins. <laughs> you know that's. I, I I can't see it. So I'm going to give you that as a dark horse. Maybe you can make it two for one if both things happen, so you can see it on each other. I'll, I'll sit no, on his you're knee. You're smoking a pipe, Fred. You're smoking a pipe if you think it's going to happen. Trust me. <laughs> so There's Fred... a difference between believing that it will happen and can happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's your belief factor. That's, uh, yeah, you've got a little bit of rune in you, huh? Yeah, you've got a little. Gab Gabby? Um, Rublev? Oh, my God. That's not a dark horse. Is that not a dark Come horse? On, oh my gosh, no. Why? He Winner, won Monte Carlo. He Isn't won Monte he, he won exactly. So this is the dark That's horse. That's why is... he's not a dark horse. <laughs> but he's, not, he's in the tournament and he's not a slam champion. Fair play. It's 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 playing Freddie's rules very close. But yes. but she, <laughs> well, I think it's uh, she's already a lot better than a lot of us have have done previously. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let it fly. Freddie? Thank you. I think I actually have a proper dark horse. I have grown pretty warm on this guy because I really like his game. I'm going to go for Francisco Serundolo. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a, it's a good one. And it's better than the one that I'd written down earlier tonight, which is, which is Fabian Marazan, who had the amazing Rome. I mean, amazing. That's a true dark horse. He was 140 <laughs> in the world. And I watched him and I was like, oh my God, this kid is real. I've just looked, he lost in qualies. So he's... he's <laughs> That's your Noskova. That's who he is. So, he's, so I decide, I've done that research before given my dark horse is the difference, Emily. So that's, the, so you can't, you can't allow me to, so he's crossed off the list, but doesn't that show as well? I mean, this, this guy's gone and, you know, had the wins, beaten Alcaraz, done what he's done. And then he's gone to qualies and, and, and lost in the second round. And I think those stories are important in our, in our world as well, you know, for people to start giving respect to these players that are, that are ranked 200 in the world that are, that are in these, in, in these positions that are almost just written off as, as nobodies. Um, so yeah, that's not my dark horse. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in before, so I don't go last all the time and steal you, you guys. Um, Musetti is, I have two names. <laughs> One is, is Musetti, who I think at some point will, will really come good on clay. Uh, Freddie shaking his head. Um, he, he has had a, he's had a pretty good, pretty good clay, clay season so far. Um, maybe he can't do it over five sets. I don't know. Lajovic is my is my second one. That 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 again I I see him playing. You only allowed one. Which one are you going with? You only allowed one. Depends which, which one. one you going with? You can't have two. Depends which one does better. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> if I was to just pick one, I'd go Massetti. Can I go Kachanov? Kachanov. Kachanov. Is he healthy? Yeah. Is he playing? Yeah. Is he him? Is he healthy? Yeah, he's another medium okay. medium to light horse, but yeah, good. I'm I'm going Kiefer. Okay, we got a bit of American lover on the on the red clay courts. Yeah, well, I, I think Wayne's still coaching him. I haven't seen him. I was talking to him, but I think he's still with him. But aren't aren't clay courts like a in USA like a unicorn on a skateboard or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll soon see. We'll soon see. 
So now we're going for our winners. And I'm going to start yeah. with Gabby. Novak. Oh, going for the going for the banker. Going for the banker. Is he the banker? Is he the favorite? He's a wanker. I don't have a banker. <laughs> is he is he is he the favorite though? Uh, that'll, that'll make the highlight reel at the end of the year. No. Nah. <laughs> nah, nah, uh, nah, has gotta be the favorite for me. So Alcaraz, we think favorite, but you, but we've got we've got Gabby. same here. You're going Alcaraz, Piot. Yeah, same pick. Kieran, is 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 was that your pick, uh, or were you just saying that's the favorite? No, it's my pick, Alcaraz. I'll go Alcaraz. I think um, he's got the. He, I, I think right now he's got the pedigree. I mean, I mean, maybe Runa. I hate to. I hate to go with Fred. I've got to go against him. No, I'm going with Alcaraz. I'm not going with Fred. You can piss off. Stop making me laugh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Sinner. I want to go Sinner. I'm going to go Sinner. That could have been a dark horse. Yeah, but then if you're looking at someone who's going to make quarters of a slam, then it's, I think that's not really a dark horse in Sinner because I think he can definitely do that. Sinner's, Sinner's more of a dark horse than Rublev. Yeah. Leave Gabby alone. Don't stop picking on Gabby. So, Sinner, we've gone dip. You honestly think Sinner? Honestly. Come on. Surely it, I just, surely it. I just feel like it. I just feel like it. Surely it doesn't come outside of the three. There's three that can win it, surely. I think the point about Djokovic is that it's still is best of five, right? So, it's still, that's still up there with a reason. But why not, Sinner? Yeah, let's go with it. So Dan, your obsession with making top threes in every discipline. Who who are your threes that can win it then? I think the three players that can win it are Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz, and my pick, Holger Rune. <laughs> there's only there's only three I believe that can win. You don't it. think Medvedev? Medvedev. So you say Medvedev's the dark horse to win it? I think he is. I, I, he's not a dark horse to get the quarters. I don't think Medvedev is 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 going to win the French Open. No, I don't. I don't think he's one of the three that can win it. I, I think the winner will come from those three. And I just I love this kid. I've learned to love him already. Like he, he there was times when he was annoying me a bit, maybe, and I wasn't sure if it was that genuine. But now I just know it's a hundred percent genuine. He didn't give a shit. He didn't give nope. a shit. He doesn't not give a shit about anything, and he just. Has it, it? I I love it. I love the way he embraces it. I think he's brilliant for the game. I love that he's quite happy to walk on and be booed by the court and give them a few fists and a few. I I, I just I just think he's so good for the game. But there's absolute substance behind it, and I think he wins a Grand Slam soon. So why not? Why not now? I think he's ready. I also think that Medvedev benefited from the wet and rainy conditions in in Italy. Fair enough. Actually, that's a good shot. Yeah, it's tough to get the ball past him, isn't it? But I, I think, no, I, 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 I think Medvedev would would really struggle to beat two of two of those guys or three of those guys back to back. A bit like I think what Piot said as well earlier about Pagula. I think it's you know I think it would be tough for Medvedev to have a Rune quarterfinal, a Alcaraz semifinal, and a Djokovic final. I don't think he comes through three of those matches. You know, whereas. 
I can I can see the other three coming through that. And Freddie, are, are you are you staying loyal? Are you jumping on my bandwagon? Or are you uh, are you are you going to give an opinion yourself? I am going to give the opinion that the Holger is going to win. Oh, here we go. <laughs> there, there we go. So so Holger Rudis. So we got two Holgers. We've got two Alcarazes. Only one Djokovic. And then one, and then one sinner. So, so, so there we go. Um, in terms of in terms of moving this on, I I want to finish with a little quiz. You know, you guys are a fun bunch. Uh, let's see if there's any intelligence in that in those fun fun faces of yours. Um, the first question you have to type your answer into the chat box. How long was the longest ever match at Roland Garros? In the open era. Okay. So we've, oh my goodness, we're going to need a little bit of maths here. So uh, we got Piot with eight hours. We got Gabby with five hours, 44 minutes. We got Kieran with six hours, five minutes. And we got Freddie with six hours, 47 minutes. It was, and the big Dane takes the first point, six hours, 33 minutes. Clement and Santoro. Oh my goodness, that was the next question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, hang on, I'll just. I mean, that is amazing. Chat box. That is amazing knowledge. You still only get one point. Okay, so he's given you that. Can you guys pick the year? Clermont against Santoro, French Open, which year? Ooh. You have to get it exactly right to get a point. There's not closest to for this. Uh, you're all incorrect. You you were bang in the middle. We had 2008s and we had 99s. It was 2004. Mm-hmm. Last question, and this is more of a finger on the buzzer question. Okay, so if I see you put your hand up, you then get one guess. And the the question is, how many? Hand up? Yeah, like boom. Like the song, hands up. <laughs> but you then have a three second window to give the answer so you have to or two you've got to be quick how many french nationals have won the french open in the open era singles freddy who how many men and how many women uh i was gonna go one each but i have a feeling it's two women zero men okay anybody else freddy's incorrect anybody else Gabby, hand up. I was going to say three. Incorrect. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kieran? Is it, is, is, it not two, uh, is it not two? One one male, one female. Correct. Point to Kieran Vorster. Next question. Who are they? Wow. Boom. Yannick, Yannick Noah, Mary Pierce, right? Yannick yeah, Noah, Mary Pierce. Yannick Noah, I knew, but uh, I thought it would be at Ke- least two Kieran women. Vorster makes it two all. So the tiebreak question is what year what year did Yannick Noah win the French Open? Kieran. Nineteen eighty-two. Incorrect. Yeah. Freddie? Eighty-three. Correct. Our champ, our champion. This is not the only thing that the Danes are going to win in the next two weeks. Freddie Nielsen takes the quiz. Olga Rune takes the men's event. And we're all looking forward to the French Open. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have all of you. 
with me. A big, big thank you. That hour is never quite an hour, and I apologize for that. Get some rest. Gabby, good luck. Piot, um, good luck the next couple of weeks, and I hope to see all of you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you. And a big thank you to our panellists for, for coming on. I told you it was a good one. Yeah, I told you that at the start, and, and, it, and it really was. I, I loved being involved in that conversation, and I'm looking forward to listening back and let's see who's right, who's who's going to get the who's going to get the prediction spot on. So interesting that only one person went for Novak Djokovic, the 22-time winning Novak Djokovic. You know, are we making that mistake? Are we sleeping on him? And just for you listening, I'd just like to say a little little apologies for for the quality of sound. I am here in Paris, as I said at the start, and my laptop's died. And my microphone is not switched on. So I've had to come from my mobile phone. So the quality might not quite be there. But hopefully you get the feeling of what is going on. I've got the sun in my face here in Paris. It's often rainy. It's often cold. But the conditions certainly aren't that this week. We are on round one day. Cameron Norrie has won in five sets today against Benoit Paire. The crowd were going crazy. There's lots of great matches for us to look forward to. And certainly I, as a tennis coach, am very excited as my boys, Harry Heliovara and Lloyd Glasspool, get started tomorrow as well in their first round here at Roland Garros. We have lots more amazing guests coming up. Hope you are well wherever you are. Enjoy the French Open. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>